0: Welcome to the Living Word. I'm Dave Dino, and our special guest is John Carter, pastor, evangelist, and biblical archaeologist. We have a, a very interesting topic to look into today, one that we all think that we are familiar with, and yet, once we get below scratching the surface, I suspect that we're going to find out a lot more about the Reformation and the Council of Trent than we really knew we knew. This is, this is a particular delight for me, because all my life I have heard about the Reformation and about Martin Luther, and this has been celebrated in the church. We're going to get a little bit of church history today, so this is a lesson for those of us who are Christians, and it is perhaps uh, an eye-opener for those who have been looking at Christianity from the sidelines to this point in their life. John, I'd like to begin by asking, what happened to the church in the centuries after Christ and the Apostles and how does what happened there affect us today? Fill in the gaps for us.
1: Dave almost immediately after the deaths of the Apostles Mm. the church succumbed to the influences of the pagan Roman Empire
0: Mm.
1: it didn't take too long after the book of Revelation was written That was, you know, at the end of the first century. John on the Isle of Patmos. Yes, John on the Isle of Patmos. Just during that period, doctrine started to come into the church that had nothing to do with the teachings of the apostles or Christ. It has been said that as the church went along, Christianity did not only conquer Rome, but Rome conquered Christianity. Uh, mm-hmm. This was predicted, of course, in the Bible. If I could turn over here to 2 Thessalonians and chapter 2, there is a text here that in the King James Version uses the words, the falling away. Mm-hmm. It spoke about a falling away from the truth of the gospel, particularly. Mm-hmm. 2 Thessalonians 2, verse uh, 3 and onwards says, don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs. Now, the King James Version says that before the falling away comes mm-hmm. or the rebellion comes. Mm-hmm. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God, and so this would be a movement, not in the pagan world, but this would be a movement in the bosom, in the confines of the Christian church, and the Apostle Paul in another passage, I think it is Acts 20, also alluded to this apostasy, because what happened is called by church historians, the great apostasy, Acts 20 verse 28 Paul said, talking to the elders, I've not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Mm -hmm. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he has bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock, even from your own number men will arise and distort the truth mm. in order to draw away disciples after them. Now, he's talking about after his demise, and that was, say, in the 60s. Goodness, a few years after the birth of Christianity. Mm-hmm. He's predicting the coming of men who would come in, who'd be in the, in the church, mm-hmm. not outside the church, and they would distort the truth. And so if you tie this up with 2 Thessalonians 2, where it talks about the coming of the man of sin, the man of lawlessness, the man of perdition, and the falling away from the truth. Now, Dave, it's a very interesting thing that the New Testament, of course, very, very plainly teaches the gospel. Mm -hmm. And the gospel is the good news of Christ that we're not saved by our own works. No, we're not saved by faith and works. We are saved by the righteousness that is given to us by the grace of God through the merits of Jesus Christ. We can never do anything to attain to righteousness. We are sinners and we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone. That is the clear teaching of the New Testament. But soon after the death of the apostles, the early church fathers had moved into a
0: completely new sphere of theological teaching. Now some might say that, well, this was but the birth pangs of the mm-hmm. church. The mm-hmm. church was having to sort of find its own way. It was mm-hmm. brand new. It was, mm-hmm. it was forming. The problem is, Dave, that uh, when people start forming
1: a church, that's not according to the word of God, but according mm-hmm. to the traditions of men, then the church goes into apostasy.
0: There were some pretty strong battles uh, yes, over there were. what the gospel was yes. and what the message uh, of christ himself works. but the early
1: ch- church fathers do not preach or teach largely the gospel mm. they have a doctrine of righteousness by works ah. they taught that a person became saved by becoming good enough
0: mm-hmm.
1: and justification was no longer a declaration because of the grace of god because of what jesus had done for us on the cross justification became a process a process of becoming better and better until the sinner was transformed into the very image of God. Then he was worthy to go to heaven. Mm. And so you had a subtle shift shift
0: from righteousness by faith Mm -hmm. to righteousness by works. The Reformation. It came along where in the process? Well, the Reformation came... uh, It's a little hard to pinpoint the date,
1: but I guess one could say that the birth of Martin Luther was a a bombshell in the world. Hmm. Uh, he was born in 1483. Hmm. I'm sure his parents didn't think of him as a bombshell hmm. but as a dear little boy.
0: Hmm.
1: His parents were poor people. His father was a, a coal miner living hmm. in Germany. Hmm. But the church by this time had got into a dreadful state of, of, of man-made religion.
0: It seems to me that that's exactly what Christ was preaching against. Yes, yes. It had gone back to the days of the Pharisees.
1: Right. Self-righteousness and man-made traditions. Purgatory, nowhere taught in the Bible. Hmm. And penance, nowhere taught in the Bible. Hmm. And celibacy and relics and images and prayers for the dead. And it goes
0: on and on and on. The word we all know is indulgences. Yes, that's often associated yes. with Martin Luther. Yes, and because so of, many people think he rebelled only against that.
1: Hmm. What are indulgences? Well, Tetzel was the person who brought indulgences to world fame, because an indulgence was, was a proclamation made by the Pope saying, this is getting to the bottom line, this is mm-hmm. cutting out all the theological niceties, that mm-hmm. if a person paid a certain amount of money, the Pope would give him freedom from his sins. The Pope would forgive his sins Wow! and not only would the Pope forgive him for his sins, the sins that he'd done now, but the sins in the future <laughs> and, and what is more he didn't even need to go to confession to the priest. Oh my. And uh, this indulgence was so powerful it would even work for the souls of loved ones in purgatory. Uh. So X said, as soon as the coin chinks in the chest, a soul flies up to heavenly rest. <laughs> and Martin Luther said, this is against the gospel. Martin Luther was a very earnest Roman Catholic priest. Mm-hmm. He'd been converted through the reading of the scriptures and also because of some of his experiences. Uh, Martin Luther, like many of the people of his day, had a, a dreadful fear of God. Mm-hmm. He saw God as a, an angry judge waiting to strike him down, a God who had to be, Dave, appeased. Almost everybody believed in that sort of God, mm-hmm. a terrible mm-hmm. God. And man was so burdened with sin, the Church of Rome rightly taught the burden of sin, but no solution. Mm. And the only solution they gave, which was a completely inadequate solution, so in fact there was no solution at all, was a man had to become perfect through works of righteousness, Mm. through prayers and penance and sacrifice and indulgences and relics and weary pilgrimages. Hmm. And a man like Martin Luther, who was so devout, he said, "I, I cannot become this sort of person. And so he was struggling to attain to this righteousness. And so he went into this uh, this place, this place where he could find God, he thought. He went into a monastery in Erfurt. And there he would pray all night long and he would scourge himself with a lash, hmm. searching for God.
0: Well, how bad was it? I mean, the Reformation occurred in what's called the Dark Ages. There's a reason why we yes, call it the Dark yes. Ages. I mean, how bad were they? And how bad it was were dreadful. conditions in the church? It was dreadful.
1: Mm. Uh, The priests, on the whole, could not read. The bishops could not read. Mm. Only a few scholars could read. The common people did not have the Bible. In Mm. fact, the Pope said that if a person had the Bible, it would lead him to turn away from the church because the Bible could not be understood by the common man. For instance, Jesus said, if your eye offends you, then pluck it out. Mm -hmm. well the pope said you imagine a peasant reading that what is he going to do he's going to plug out his eyes we're going to have all the peasants running around with no eyes but the papacy had sunk to the very depths it was called by Martin Luther the Babylonian captivity it was called the Babylonian captivity not just as a play on words but because the pope had become like a Babylonian emperor like Nebuchadnezzar the popes had harems and concubines and they were torturing people millions of people had been put to death because Mm -hmm. they had missed mass because they had thought differently Mm -hmm. virtually every person was a literate in the dark ages you had uh, millions of slaves they were called serfs Mm -hmm. i was reading only recently in the great dr newman the church historian that if a bishop or if a cardinal, or if a lord was out with his serfs on a hunting trip and the weather turned very cold, it was according to the law that they could slit open the bellies of the serfs to warm their hands and their feet. The bishops and the cardinals had thousands of slaves. The church operated slavery. It was because man turned from God. There is nothing worse than religion without God. You see, only the religion that came from God can lead to God. And the church had got a million light years away from God. Mm. And the people were depraved and superstitious. There was no such thing as religious liberty. And Martin Luther was brought up in these terrible conditions, and Martin Luther was afraid of God, and he was searching for God, and he could not find
0: God. And that gave birth to the Reformation. Was Martin Luther God's man then for this time? Yes. How important was he? Martin Luther was very important.
1: Martin Luther was a sinner. Martin Luther made mistakes. Sometimes he was an extremist, but a man had to be a strong man to battle against this mm. terrible, torrent, this mm-hmm. tremendous current of sin and evil. What happened was when he was there in the monastery, he was beating his back. And one day, the old head of the church there, a very fine man, a good Christian man, mm-hmm. a monk, discovered him in his cell. His back was bleeding. and He said, Martin, Martin, you can't you can't save your soul by punishing your body. Mm. And he directed him to scripture. Really? And Martin Luther said as he read the scriptures it seemed as though the burden was starting to be lifted but he still had terrible struggles because when he read in the scriptures when he read in the scriptures the expressions about the righteousness of God he said, Dave This is dreadful. God is righteous. I am unrighteous. God is holy. I'm a sinner. And because God reacts against sin, he must react against me. And God must be angry with me and God must hate me. And once the dear old priest who was a good man was listening to his confession, Martin Luther said, my sin is unpardonable. And the man who was listening to the confession said, that is for God to judge my son. But he said, he has judged me already. He is holy, I am unholy. He is righteous, I am unrighteous. And for this, he condemns me. He condemns me. And because he condemns me, he hates me. And because he hates me, I hate him, mm. and this is my unpardonable sin. I, the priest said to him, but you love God, you must love God. He said, I cannot love God. This is my unpardonable sin. Great theology comes out of great conflict. The reason this the world in which we live today, in the country in which we live today is so superficial is because very few of us have had to struggle like Martin Luther to find the light.
0: And this is a part of the life and the struggle of Martin Luther Yes, that uh, is rarely heard about. Yes, yeah, sometimes when I tell people I'm going to
1: show the movie on Martin Luther, and I can say it to a Christian congregation, they'll mm-hmm. say, ah, and they'll come to see it, and they'll say, but we never thought that Martin Luther lived in a monastery mm. thinking Martin Luther King mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so there is great ignorance mm-hmm. concerning these great themes that gave birth to our very nation and to our own souls today. What happened Dave that in this tremendous struggle he was, in an, he was an Augustinian monk. Mm-hmm. The leader of the Augustinians was having a controversy with the people in Rome. And so Martin Luther was sent down to Rome to try to patch up their differences. And when he went down to Rome, he saw the state of the church. Mm. And Martin Luther said, if there's ever a hell, then Rome is built on it. He saw the, the priests and the bishops and the cardinals with their concubines, he saw the evil, he saw the the tortures that were inflicted upon innocent Roman Catholic people. You see, all the people who were Roman Catholics, so we're not talking against Roman Catholics. Mm-hmm, we're talking mm-hmm. about the state of the church. Mm-hmm. That was the church. That was the church.
0: Right.
1: And so he came back to Wittenberg, and he was made a doctor of theology. And as he studied the Bible, he was led by the Spirit of God to this book here, which is my favorite book, I think, in the Bible, with the gospel according to St. John. Hmm. But These words, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, not who works, Mm -hmm. who believes. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile, for in the gospel a righteousness from god is revealed a righteousness that is by faith from first to last just as it is written the righteous will live by faith and as he said to his superior in the monastery where does the bible here speak of penance and indulgences and where does it talk about all of these these works, mm-hmm. it is by faith that the soul is made right with God.
0: What a wonderful realization that must have been for Martin Luther, to, oh, to, to rediscover yes. this truth of Scripture. It is the Bible truth, but it had been lost for more than a
1: thousand years. It had been mm-hmm. lost for at least 1,300 years, largely uh, when by you the say, church. When you say lost, I mean it's still in the Scriptures. It's still in the Scriptures. How could it be lost? The common people didn't know it. Mm-hmm. It wasn't taught in the churches. The churches had a Bible, and the, and the Bible was chained up, uh, literally chained. The people did not have the Bible. Uh, the people were at the mercy of of a corrupt church and a corrupt priesthood. Now, Dave, there's something else he discovered. The word righteousness. Mm-hmm. That word had scared him. Righteousness of God. How on earth can righteousness be good news? For a person like Martin Luther, how can righteousness, the term righteousness, mm-hmm. the righteousness mm-hmm. of God, be good news for John Carter? I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. The Bible says we've all sinned and we fall short of the glory of God. The Bible says there is none righteous. And he discovered that the word righteousness was good news because it did not refer in these passages to the wrath of God. But it, it meant the righteousness that comes from God because of the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross the righteousness that comes from God and that is credited to the sinner because of the mercy and the grace of God Mm. that this righteousness is given to me the moment I truly believe in Christ and when this happens I have passed from death unto life and i'm ready for the judgment that's why the gospel is good news and so this does away with penance and purgatory and indulgences and relics and long weary pilgrimages it does away with all of these things because it is
0: by faith that a man accepts the righteousness of god and john how does how does martin luther's understanding of the gospel how did it differ from that of Rome it made it, it, it differed as
1: light as from the dark hmm. the Bible teaches this Now, this the truth of the gospel Dave is a revealed truth hmm. the Apostle Paul said he didn't receive it from men he wasn't taught by men but he says that he received it by revelation of God hmm. Now this explains something. People can sit in church and they can actually hear the true gospel taught, but it doesn't sink into the soul. The gospel is not only comprehended apprehended by the mind, but there's more to it. Mm-hmm. You understand it with the spirit, with the soul. I'm using these words figuratively, with the heart. And God revealed the gospel to Paul. And he revealed the gospel to Martin Luther by direct revelation. That's how you got it. That's how I got it. We got it by direct revelation from the throne of God. By the work of the Holy Spirit. Right. Now, Let me show you, tell you the differences. The Bible teaches that we are saved by grace alone. Now the Church of Rome teaches that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: People say the Church of Rome doesn't teach grace alone. That is false. They're, they're maligning the church of Rome when they say that. The church of Rome teaches that we are saved by the blood of Christ. The church of Rome teaches that Christ on the cross made an atonement for our sins. Mm-hmm. People say the church of Rome doesn't teach The church of Rome does teach that. Mm-hmm. The church of Rome teaches that we're also saved by faith. Mm. The difference is subtle, but of enormous significance. Subtle but of enormous significance. The Bible teaches that we are saved by grace alone. Mm -hmm. We can never merit salvation. We're never saved by our works because our works are never enough and never good enough. We're saved by grace alone and we're saved by faith alone. We cannot add to God's mercy. We cannot add to his righteousness. We cannot add to his justifying mercy. But the Church of Rome officially teaches still today this difference. The Church of Rome teaches that a man is saved by grace alone because of Calvary. Mm -hmm. Through faith, Mm -hmm. plus the works of love that are wrought in his heart by the Holy Spirit. Plus... That's the teaching of the Council of Trent. It is the teaching of the Vatican today. Mm. It is the teaching of the hierarchy in North America around the world. Let me say it again. The Church of Rome teaches that we are saved by grace alone Mm. because of Christ, Mm -hmm. because of his death for our sins. Mm -hmm. Through faith, we accept it through faith, plus... Mm. The works of love done by grace in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Now a person will say, that sounds good to me. Well, Mm. it may sound good to you, but it is not the teaching of the Bible or Martin Luther. It is the teaching of the Roman Catholic Church. The Council of Trent. Yes,
0: the council of trent particularly might be, called, might be well called a counter mm-hmm. reformation in a sense yes indeed tell yes. us about that give us a better understanding of that what what happened there and what led to that uh, you know dave
1: these things are not important these things are of tremendous significance mm. for us today the reformation uh, you could say started with martin luther in 1517 mm. nailing up upon the the church doors the 95 theses mm-hmm. the 95 theses were not too easy to read they were written in Latin mm-hmm. so any ordinary person did not have a clue but the scholars understood and in the 95 theses Martin Luther attacks the doctrine of indulgences mm-hmm. because he says you're saved by Christ alone then how can the Pope demand a further payment. Mm -hmm. You see, it is by grace alone. And we accept it by faith alone. And soon the 95 Theses were copied and they were all around that part of Germany, all through Germany, Mm. through the empire. Then they got down into Rome and they got into monasteries and they got into convents and Erasmus got his copy and the scholars started to read them and debate them. And Germany was ripe for a spiritual revolution because mm. the leaders of Germany, the princes, were fed up to here with the extortion of the Vatican. Mm. The Vatican was bleeding them white. Mm. The Vatican was selling, selling areas of Germany out like farms. Wow. And if you paid so much money, you could become a bishop.
0: Mm.
1: The Bishop of Mainz he bought it for so much gold Hmm. and when he got this area which was like a big spiritual farm then he could tax the people and sell indulgences to raise money on the condition that the Pope got half of it (laughs) and what did the Pope want the half for so he could build St. Peter's Cathedral St Peter's cathedral was built with a lot of german money because germany was so wealthy mm-hmm. from the sale of indulgences. Wow. And so Martin Luther, this strong courageous non-compromising german the son of a, of a german peasant, his peasant family. He goes and he puts up the 95 theses. And people are are receptive Mm -hmm. straight away because they say here is a man who's got courage and here is a man who's going to take on this apostate church and here is a man who's going to take on this profligate pope who is robbing us of our gold and our silver Mm -hmm. and so as the reformation grows it brings tremendous enlightenment and it brings peace to millions of souls it starts growing in England and Scotland, and in, uh, John Calvin starts preaching, and, and there's a tremendous movement which eventually gives rise to the great democracies, including Great Britain and the United States of America. Mm. Mm. There would not be a United States of America if there had not been a Protestant Reformation. See, this is
0: pretty important stuff. It, uh, it's, it works in what one uh, historian uh, characterized it as as chains mm-hmm. that one thing leads to another and mm-hmm. to another and to another you don't just jump from here mm-hmm. from A to Z mm-hmm. that, that history works in chains you see this is a, a dynamic spiritual force
1: mm-hmm. and it's not a man mm-hmm. it has the elements of man in it but it's more than this it has the spirit of God in this and once the reformation got underway the papacy saw that she was losing her authority over the souls of men, women, and little children. Mm-hmm. The papacy, when it has operated, when it operated in the Dark Ages, was a union of church and state, and persecuted and put to death millions of people. Now, Roman mm-hmm. Catholic theologians and historians would not disagree with what I'm telling you. Mm-hmm. This is just plain history and many Catholic theologians uh, think that what happened back there was disgusting it was terrible mm-hmm. even the popers made somewhat of an apology for the excesses of the Inquisition
0: hmm.
1: now there was a man who was born in Spain near the little village of Loyola and his name was Ignatius he was the Roman Catholic version of Martin Luther
0: hmm.
1: he was one of the greatest minds one of the greatest brains that the world has ever experienced. Mm -hmm. We know him as Ignatius of Loyola. Mm -hmm. The Church of Rome was shaken to her core, and the Church went to her knees. Mm -hmm. It appeared as though the Church of Rome would be destroyed. Mm -hmm. But then this man got around himself, a little group of of scholars, and uh, he was given permission after a number of years to visit the Holy Father, as he is called, in Rome. Mm he offered himself to the, to the Holy Roman Catholic Church. And he started what is called the Counter-Reformation and established the order of the Jesuits. Hmm. And the word Jesuit means a follower of Jesus. Mm-hmm. These people were set out to restore to the papacy the glory and the, and the luster of former days and to lead the, the Church of Rome back to the religion of Jesus. Through the gospel... Of grace alone, plus faith, through faith, plus good works, Mm. wrought in the heart Mm. by the Holy Spirit. And people say, oh, it seems so close. It is as close as heaven and hell.
0: John, how does the Roman Catholic understanding then of the gospel, the Roman Catholic understanding of Mm -hmm. the gospel, how does that affect life, a person's life? Well,
1: it makes a lot of, it makes a lot of difference. It, it doesn't make a little bit of difference. It makes a lot of difference. And, and, of course, my beloved Roman Catholic friends who are watching this telecast will know that I love them. My old father was a Roman Catholic, mm. an altar boy, and we love our beloved brothers and sisters in the Catholic Church. Mm. In fact, the Adventist Church, of which I am a part, has a book called Great Controversy. Mm -hmm. by Alan White, and in this book the author says that the vast majority of God's true children are found in the communion of the Roman Catholic Church. Hmm. That means that we believe that God has a vast number of people in that marvelous, great, historic church who look to Jesus alone for salvation. Mm -hmm. Sure, they may not see things exactly as we think they ought to see them, but God claims them as his children. So, nothing I'm saying today is derogatory of Roman Catholics. Mm -hmm. We are talking about the system of salvation as taught in the Bible, and the system of salvation as taught by the Council of Trent, and as taught today by the papacy, and by every cardinal, and by every bishop in this country. What difference does it make? Well, let me tell you. The Bible teaches that justification is a declaration. Let me read you a text or two out of the Bible. Let me read from Romans chapter 3, which is probably the most profound theological document that has ever seen the light of day. Tyndale, the great British reformer, called the book of Romans good, glad, and merry tidings. that makes a man's heart to sing for joy and his feet to dance. G'day, the great philosopher said, this is the greatest masterpiece that the human mind has ever conceived or realized.
0: Mm, that the mm, human mind. Mm,
1: well, he was not writing as a Christian. I, I was understand. Just about That's the, interesting. And yet
0: it still made that impression on him.
1: Oh, it's so Amazing. marvelous. And Martin Luther said this is the chief part of mm. the New Testament and uh, the purest gospel. Now, Romans 3, even though it's early in the book, mm-hmm. is really the heart of the book. Mm. It's not easy to understand. But remember this, sermonettes make Christianettes. That's what HMS am going to write that down. Sermonettes that make me. Christianettes. And superficial Bible study makes superficial Christians. Mm-hmm. And today the tragedy is that the Christian church is a mile wide and a quarter of an inch mm-hmm. deep. Oh, that God would raise up men like Martin Luther who traveled with God in prayer, in searching for God. Because then they would have something to say.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: They would not have to say something. They would have something to say. Now here he writes this, this great chapter. He says, We have already made the charge the Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. Now we all know that. That was Mm -hmm. taught by the church in the days of Martin Luther. Mm -hmm. Uh, When you see the paintings of the day, you see pictures of poor sinners being burned in the flames of hell. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, People back there had no doubt that they were sinners. Some have a doubt about that today, but Mm -hmm. people back there had a real consciousness of sin. And that was good. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. So the Bible teaches that we are all sinners. All sinners. But then he goes on to say, now this is the theology. Verse 20. I'm going to read these words slow. Mm-hmm. Don't apologize that these words take some comprehending because they're the words of the inspired Paul. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. Mm -hmm. You can't be saved by keeping the law because the law shows us that we're sinners. It doesn't make us righteous. Now, when you say that you're saved by grace and faith plus the good deeds of the law, Mm. you're doing away with the gospel because we're not saved by keeping the law. We're all sinners. Bless your heart, we've all broken the law. There was only yeah, right. one person who hadn't broken the law, and we know who that was. That was, Jesus. that was Jesus. That was Jesus. Then it says, but now, now this is the great theology that started the Reformation, but now, a righteousness from God Oh, he thought this was bad news for us. Righteousness Mm -hmm. from God Mm is going to strike me down like a bolt of lightning. Mm -hmm. But now, a righteousness from God, apart from law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. Well, it's apart from law, but the law is in favor of it. The law teaches it. Mm -hmm. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Mm There is no difference. So when a person truly believes in Christ, this righteousness, which is the righteousness of God, the very righteousness of Jesus Christ, is credited to the sinner's account, not because he's good enough or worthy, but because of sheer mercy. It isn't because of the good deeds that have been wrought in his heart by the Holy Spirit. As the Council of Trent taught, Counselor Trent said, when you've got enough good deeds that are wrought in your heart by the Holy Spirit, you see, the Counselor Trent taught perfectionism. That when you're perfect, God will say, well done. You've done it with Mm. my help. Now you can come to heaven. Mm. But the Bible says, this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And are justified or declared righteous freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Mm -hmm. This means, say, somebody's sitting there watching the tube. Mm -hmm. This person says, I am a sinner. I, I have come to realize I'm a sinner now that's hard for a person to realize It is because we're born Pharisees you don't go to to theological seminary to learn to be a Pharisee (laughs) you get it naturally you see it's hard
0: to realize it's hard to admit very hard because of the the
1: pride that is found in the human heart so this man says watching the telecast Lord I'm a sinner I'm falling short of the glory of God the hardest person to deal with is the super religious person Mm -hmm. because the super religious person usually is is filled up with self-righteousness so the person says i'm a sinner and he says i'm going to put my complete trust in jesus who died for my sins Mm -hmm. i believe fully that jesus is the messiah i accept him as the messiah I surrender my life to him, I accept him as my Savior, Mm. and I do so repenting of my sins. God, in that moment, gives to that repenting sinner his righteousness. God looks upon him there as though he'd never sinned. Hmm. I ask you, can you add to that? Can you get better than the righteousness of God? I've had people say to me, but that's where you start. But then you go on and you get better. What sort of blasphemy (laughs) is this? You get better than the very righteousness of God. What they do, they don't get better, they go into the dark ages. Mm -hmm. So this is what Martin Luther discovered. He discovered that if this is true, then I can have God's righteousness now as a gift credited to me, Therefore, what do you need purgatory for?
0: Mm. Now, for instance... Well, purgatory. Mm -hmm. I mean, you've mentioned that several times. And for many uh, Christians, particularly uh, Protestant Christians, that whole doctrine is a mystery to us. We really don't know what purgatory is. Oh,
1: it's not a mystery. It's a theological necessity. What is it? Uh, Purgatory is a place that's not quite heaven and it's not quite hell. But the Church of Rome teaches this. We can become... We can go into the presence of God when we are like God. Hmm. So we come to Christ. This is what the Church of Rome Mm -hmm. officially teaches. Mm -hmm. There may be some Roman Catholics who will say, well, that's not what I was taught. Well, you just need to find out what your church really teaches, Mm -hmm. what the Pope teaches, what the Council of Trent teaches. Your local priest may not even know this. Hmm. This is what it really teaches. So a Catholic says, well, I come to Christ. I accept his death for my sins. Right, so do I. Mm-hmm. I'm, I accept His grace. Now the church says the Holy Spirit will come and work in your heart and produce all these works of mercy and goodness and kindness. And these works of mercy that are wrought in your heart not by your own effort, but by the Holy Spirit working in you, mm-hmm. combining with your effort, makes you righteous. Mm. So justification is not a declaration, it is a process of making. Mm -hmm. Now the Pope knows, and every Roman Catholic knows, every Bishop knows, that none of us become like God in this lifetime. We still continue to fall short. So even after fifty years, a hundred years of the Holy Spirit working in the heart, The person, even though he's the Pope, Dave, is not good enough. Therefore, God can't take him to heaven because he's not good enough. Mm -hmm. But he's not going to throw him into hell because he's not bad enough. Hmm. He's going to put him in purgatory. And he may be in purgatory for a thousand years or a million years. And he will be purified of all of his sins until he actually is like God. Hmm. And then God takes him to heaven this is perfectionism there are Protestants who believe this they don't have the purgatory but they believe that justification is a process of making the sinner righteous but Martin Luther discovered the truth in the Bible that justification is not a process of making us righteous justification is a judicial declaration from the throne of God that because Christ died for our sins and we accept his death by faith that this righteousness is given to us now freely It's a free gift and i'm right with god now now ready to die now ready for the judgment now
0: john this was a great clash yes still is what was the result of the teaching of the gospel then as understood by the protestant reformers
1: Let me just say a little bit, uh, and I'll work into that Mm -hmm. one, about Ignatius Loyola. There Mm -hmm. was no greater scholar, no more devout person. Mm -hmm. Uh, The the hours they would spend in prayers and all of those things. They also believed that the uh, end justifies the means and Mm -hmm. a few nasty little things like this. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they also were the leaders in persecution Mm-hmm. and in uh, the Inquisition, mm-hmm. dreadful tortures and things like this to make people repent mm-hmm. and turn back to the Mother Church. Right. Wherever that went, the doctrine of grace plus faith plus works, you had fear and darkness mm-hmm. and oppression, like a thick cloud. It mm-hmm. was like the Dark Ages revisited but in a more subtle, sophisticated, intellectual form. Dreadful. Hmm. Dreadful darkness and superstition and coldness, but great devotion. Where the teachings of the Protestant Reformation went, it was like a burden was lifted. People were no longer afraid of God. They did not fear God, but they loved God. And you may say, what about all the works? Now, the, the Council of Trent condemned the Protestants because they said, well, the Protestants don't believe in works. <laughs> well, the Protestants did not believe in works as far as salvation is concerned. Right. Good works do not make a good man, but a good man makes good works. And good works, the keeping of the holy law of God, is the fruitage of faith. Right. When a person comes to God by grace alone, through faith alone, and when he sees what Christ has done for him on the cross, in his soul is born love and gratitude. As the little poem says, I would not work my soul to save, for this my Lord has done but I would work like any slave for the love of God's dear son. Mm -hmm. The hardest workers were the people who were saved without works, out of gratitude. And that is why when a person is right with God, he will want to keep the commandments.
0: We are not saved by works. No. We are saved for works. Yes. Ephesians 2.10. Yes, we are mm, created. God's workmanship mm-hmm. created in Christ Jesus for good works yes. which he has prepared beforehand yes. that we should walk in them yes it is the fruit on the tree mm. grace is the root
1: mm-hmm. works are the fruit mm. so wherever this doctrine went to answer your question mm-hmm. it went to England England had been bogged down in the mire of superstition and darkness and oppression. England accepted this great teaching that we're talking about today. Not a subtle difference. England accepted the marvelous, wonderful teaching of the Reformation. Spain turned away from it. Mm -hmm. Spain went back into the Dark Ages, the Spanish Inquisition, oppression. They came over then to Latin America and terrorized the people there. We know, we all know the story of the Inquisition in, in Mexico and places like this. Mm. England became the greatest nation in the world. Why? Because she accepted the teachings of the Bible. What made America the greatest nation in the world after Great Britain when Britain went into a moral decline? I'll tell you what it was. People came over from Great Britain. Who were they? Goodness me, they were the Puritans. Mm -hmm. Who were the Puritans? The people who wanted a purer church. Why did they want a purer church? They wanted a church that returned to the purity of the Bible. And the great teaching of the Puritans was righteousness by faith, by grace alone, through faith alone. The Pilgrim Fathers came over here, and they came here because they wanted to found a church without a pope and a state without a king. They came to America because of persecution. Hmm. because wherever the church and the state join together, there you have bloody persecution, Hmm. and they fled the old world. America became the greatest nation in the world because she was based upon the great Protestant Reformation that owes so much of its impetus to the preaching and the teaching of Martin Luther. If America had been founded by the disciples of the Council of Trent. Mm-hmm. We would not be here today in this place. Mm. The women most likely would be out in the fields barefooted. Mm. There would be superstition and poverty. Wherever the true gospel goes, the preaching of the Bible goes, you have liberty. The the establishment of law and order and decency and the elevation of women to the proper role that they should have in the home and in society
0: you but where the gospel of darkness is preached there you have darkness you have described to us the role of the reformation on the church yes you've given us a touch of how the reformation Mm -hmm. has affected Mm -hmm. history even Mm -hmm. the founding of our own country Mm -hmm. How does the Reformation affect you, or me, as individuals? If it were not for the Reformation,
1: I would not personally enjoy the liberties I have. If it were not for the Reformation, I would not even have a Bible. Because the Church, in the Dark Ages, took the Bible from the people. Hmm. Roman Catholics today would not have a Bible, were it not for the Protestant Reformation because their church did not put the Bible in the hands of the common people. In fact, people were burnt in Rome at the stake because they had Bibles. Mm. We have the Bible, we have liberty, and we have freedom. And Dave, there's something very important to me. I have peace. I'm a sinner saved by grace but I have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, not because of my righteousness, but because of his righteousness. That's the difference. I don't fear God. I'm not afraid of God. He's my Father. He loves me because he gave Christ to die for me. Mm. I don't fear an eternally burning hell at the end of the road. I have security that I'm going to be with Christ in paradise, not because I'm worthy, but because Christ is worthy and because my faith is in him. This is the doctrine that changes the world. I want to say to everybody watching, Dave, if people will accept this, read their Bibles, truly believe in Christ, understand the truth of the gospel, the truth of the true gospel, then their lives will be dynamically and wonderfully changed for the best.
0: So the lesson today, as we've looked at, The history of the Reformation Mm -hmm. is that, and it goes back to what we repeated a little bit earlier, we are not saved by works. We are saved for good works, but Mm -hmm. we are not saved by good works. Not at all. We are saved by grace and faith. We're saved by grace alone, through
1: faith alone. alone. But the faith that saves is never alone. Mm -hmm. The faith that saves is always accompanied by good works, as the evidence of the faith. Remember once again, I would not work my soul to save for this my Lord hath done, but I would work like any slave for the love of God's dear son. These are not theological, mere theological differences. How a person sees the gospel determines how he sees God and whether he's going to be saved in the kingdom or not. It's very important.
0: We've talked about the Reformation, we've talked about it historically today. Perhaps you are now aware that in your own life, you need a Reformation. Call us, write to us, we will walk alongside you. We'll answer your questions, we'll help you. Thank you for watching.